From the boardroom to the metaverse, this is the Meta Business Podcast. I, Paul Dewalibi, the master of the metaverse, will lead you through the biggest business stories in the metaverse. Join us as we break down the news and trends from a C-suite lens, bringing you insights, analysis, and discussion that you can't find anywhere else every single week. Welcome to Meta Business. Welcome to episode three of the Meta Business Podcast. I am Paul Dewalibi master of the metaverse i'm joined today by my friend my co-host jeff the juice cohen jeff how's it going how you doing this week hey paul i am doing well i'm excited to to get in here week three you know we're we're, we're getting the kinks out i think we're hitting the <laughs> ground running uh, i'm excited to, to jump in well-oiled machine by now yeah uh, i apologize for my very uh, uh my very kind of kitschy uh, backdrop green screen here uh i am I am not in our studio. I am not at home even. And so this is this is as good and as metaverse as you're going to get, right? You're going to have to deal with this very metaverse background. Although I don't know why neon blue and pink is like metaverse Would you now. say it almost feels like we're in the metaverse currently? You know, this <laughs> this might be the metaverse. This might, Well, <laughs> at least the folks at PC Gamer might agree with you, which we will get to because there was an interesting article that they wrote uh, calling the metaverse bullshit. Uh, which I don't agree with, and and I'm pretty sure you don't agree with. But uh, you calling this this call here metaverse um, might agree. Well, we'll, with we'll them. get into that one, but I I I don't clearly don't agree with it. I think I would get thrown <laughs> off the podcast here if I did. <laughs> but I think he makes some good points wrapped around a lot of uh, bluster and and um, clickbaity language. But I think yeah. we'll get into that. I don't know if that's the first topic, but we can get into that one later. Now, let's start with which I think is the the big kind of business metaverse news this week, because it was lit, it was one of the biggest gaming companies in the world sort of making a pretty big announcement here. And um, I'll put this up on screen here so you can see it. The headline is um, and this was the directly from the press release from Ubisoft. It says introducing Ubisoft Quartz, the first platform for playable and energy efficient NFTs in triple a games now uh the article goes on to say that uh ubisoft quartz is a new platform for players to acquire digits the first nfts playable in a triple a game running on energy efficient technology they're going to launch in beta with tom clancy's ghost recon breakpoint uh, and digits will be released as part of limited editions each composed of a fixed number of cosmetic items uh, now, the press release goes on to explain how uh, digits create sort of more value because they're unique. They're a unique collectible that feature their own serial number that can be seen in game. They're playable. So there's active utility value. And each digit comes with a certificate of ownership stored on blockchain, uh, independent from Ubisoft. And so it's not bound to your game inventory. They can put it, according to this press release, Players can be put these items for sale on third-party platforms outside of the Ubisoft ecosystem. So Ubisoft sort of following through here, right? Right, Jeff, like on what they said they were uh, going to do. I will say, yeah, before we dive into what we think about the, you yeah. know, this, it's we do have to give a lot of credit to Ubisoft. I mean, I think a lot of companies on their recent earnings calls gave lip service to NFTs and games, especially the AAA publishers, kind of were like, well, that sounds like an interesting idea <laughs> yeah. that we're looking at. But Ubisoft said that and then kind of followed through very quickly. So I have to give them 
a ton of credit. Clearly they, they had been kind of having this in the works for a while. And I would note, you know, this isn't the first time Ubisoft has been pretty forward thinking in terms of adopting new platforms, new technology. They were early to the switch. They were early to stadia rest in peace. Um, <laughs> you know, they, they, um, early on subscription. So th- this is kind of a trend with Ubisoft that they do kind of try to adopt new technologies. Um, so, so kudos to them. Kind of just wanted to throw that out there first. No, it's a good point, right? Because literally every gaming company said they were going to do something metaverse related, right? Literally every single one. Uh, Ubisoft here sort of really following through in a very tangible way, right? This is something that they're launching. They've named a specific game. Mm -hmm. They have a specific date. It's December 9th. So by the time you guys uh, listen to this or watch this, it'll already be out. Um, Actually, depending where you are, because it comes out later in some countries. but fundamentally they're putting you know their money where their mouth is here and they're working by the way with tezos worth mentioning mm-hmm. uh for their proof of stake network and you know this is this is the tech the blockchain underlying it right so which i thought was interesting it's not one you typically hear. it's not one of the more the most common ones i don't think um well tezos as a company i would say has had a pretty big you know, has made a big splash. They they sponsor F1 now, right? Like, yeah, they're, they're they're definitely making waves in the space. I guess the question is, do you like this? Right? Is this enough from Ubisoft to back up what they said they were going to do? Is this a good first step? You know, do you see business start. advantages here? Like, will they make more money on Tom on Ghost Recon? I think it's a good start. I mean, the question that I was going to kind of pose, I hate to answer a question with a question, but I'm curious what your thoughts are that they started with a game that's already out there. That already yeah. has a player base. I think uh, I kind of went back and forth. I think it probably is good because one of the critiques we've always had with um, blockchain games so far is that they kind of put the blockchain part before the games part and they don't make a game that's fun. Now, people who follow Ubisoft or played Ghost Recon Breakpoint might make a joke that, well, Ghost Recon Breakpoint wasn't very fun to begin with, <laughs> but at least it's a game that they're adding NFTs to, which I kind of commend them for that. Yeah. Um, but then does that alienate the fan base and does it kind of like, are you, risking throwing this in too late to kind of an economy that's already working um you know would it have been better to start with a new experience that's something that's unique to the blockchain rather than just throwing this into a game that already exists i don't know if you have any thoughts on that i mean doesn't it kind of prove the short-term point i think that i and i think you also have been making which is blockchain and nfts as they intersect gaming can't just be for the sake of calling it a blockchain game or an NFT game, right? There has to be some improvement or benefit to the game and gamer in some way for this to be really interesting in my mind. What I what I like here is, what I like about them using an existing game is it sort of forces them to think about how does this make the game better, right? Because it's not just mm-hmm. enough to say, we're launching an NFT game and it could be the crappiest, most unfun game ever, right? But but because, you know, it's they're calling it an NFT game or a blockchain based game, like it'll get a bunch of attention here. They're taking an existing game, whether you like the game or not, you think the game is good or not, is not sort of material in my mind. Right. Um, And saying, look, we can make it better by. Fill in the blank. Now, where I'm unclear is, did they fill in the blank there well enough to make this a compelling value proposition for the gamer? And therefore, I think this is going to make money. Right. Are people going to buy more cosmetics in Tom Clancy's Ghost Recon 
as a consequence of this announcement? And like, if you were the analyst covering Ubisoft, do you, do you increase your projections for this game, for this title? Do you, you know, like, no, I don't think so. I mean, one, I'd be curious to know how big that player base is now. Cause I know it had a very, a very tough launch. I do think that this is, is very much them just doing a test um, and kind of getting some data. So I, I'm not, I don't think it's going to have a very material business impact on, on Ubisoft, but I do think it's a good idea for them to be trying two things that I think are interesting that I kind of noted one, maybe not as surprising as the other first, that these are cosmetic only, which yep. maybe that's not shocking because they're basically microtransactions. But I do think with, with play to earn it, it, a lot of these things can become play to win. Um, or pay to win, sorry. Just given one of the benefits a lot of times with these things is kind of the uniqueness. I think if there's a power element to it, like, hey, I got the best gun in the game and there's only five of them and I can now be better because I have this gun. I think that adds a lot of value. Um, so I think that creates creates a lot of problems as well. But I do think that's probably where things will eventually head, where there will be some power power element to these things. I don't know if you disagree. So is this, is this too little and not interesting in your mind? It's too little. Just, it's interesting, but too little. The other thing I was going to mention. Like fundamentally, it's no different than just a microtransaction and a cosmetic, right? Other than the fact that you could potentially sell, sell it, it on, an on a third party site, which doesn't really exist yet. Right. And there's no, it's. Are uh, they not? Is it not on any exchanges yet? I, I don't actually, I don't know, but yeah, I don't. Know. I, I don't I guess the question is like, is there going to be va resale value in these cosmetics? Well, the, um, oh, the, that was one thing I was thinking when I was looking at the announcement, I was like, what should I, I, I almost was looking at buying like the Tezos coin. Cause I was like something here, this is, this is a first, right? This is a unique yep. first in a triple A. I was like, maybe you do want to buy one of these because again, there's only one first ever. So <laughs> there could be some value in owning the first sort of triple A, you know, NFT, same way there was, you know, you made the first NFT in esports, and and now that's worth, you know, millions. millions. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Can we the, hold on? I just I want to I want to introduce here the second story, which is totally tied before to before we do that, before yeah. before we do yeah. that. The, 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 I don't mention that. I wanted to get your opinion on. I noticed they made it eighteen and up, so you could only buy this if you're eighteen and up. Yeah. I don't. Is that the same thing in Axie and other blockchain games? Is that because of some gambling element? Like, why do you make? Why do you think that is the case? And is that going to be the case moving forward for all blockchain games? Because that clearly limits the TAM, you know, if you're if you're kind of saying, hey, only 18 and up can purchase these things. Now, I know Axie Infinity does have an 18 plus age rating. Uh, I don't know if they like if they age check you, though, right? Like where you have to declare you your age. Just say, I am 18, but, but still yeah. that. Right, the, yeah, it does limit some people if they don't want to lie. The reality is, <laughs> it's all self. Right, like no one's asking. As far as I know, not Axie Infinity, not anywhere yet is asking you to give your driver's license or like birth certificate or something. So there's no age verification. There's a self-reported age check, and at that point, like, is it really limiting anyone? It yeah. feels more like all of these companies mostly just covering covering their behinds from a legal liability standpoint, right? Like. Well, they reported 18, so it's not our issue. It's not our problem. Um, but uh, you know, it's a good point. And, and I think as, as regulation or potentially comes into the space, potentially, right, those become bigger and bigger issues. And I think how companies act early on um, will have some bearing on, on the longer term sort of viability of these platforms. Now, 
I think what was most interesting about this story, and and, and you're the one that picked up on this, and I, I love this, is one day after, literally one day after that press release came out, uh, this story came up, and and I'll read the headline here. Ubisoft delists its NFT announcement as YouTube dislikes top 22,000. Fewer than 5% of viewers liked the video explaining the Ubisoft Quartz platform. That's the name of the, the platform we just discussed. And it says here, Ubisoft has delisted its announced trailer for its Ubisoft Quartz platform following overwhelming backlash that saw it receiving a dislike to like ratio of around 20 to 1. <laughs> um, so 800 were likes, 15,466 were dislikes. It was delisted. Um, and uh, And so the reaction from call it fans or people who follow Ubisoft. I mean, Jeff, is it safe to say that the, the reaction was overwhelmingly negative? Overwhelmingly negative and, and very surprised. Like, I don't know if you feel the same way as I do. Like this to me was incredibly surprising. Um, and, and maybe this is a moment where we need to like take a step back, uh, you know, to see the forest from the trees or whatever that the expression is, um, you know, and recognize that the, the portion of people who are diving really deep into these blockchain games and even just crypto is still so early where it's such a small percentage of people. And a lot of the broader gaming community in the broader you know, world looks at these still as sort of scammy, kind of the stuff we talked about in the last episode with, with Phil Spencer, kind of still looks at these and says, hey, this is a cash grab. I'm, I'm maybe getting scammed in some way. And part of that might be Ubisoft's reputation a little bit and kind of this game specific reputation with some microtransaction issues when it first came out. But I do think I am a little bit surprised that it seems the community viewed this as as a little bit of a cash grab and maybe just them throwing in this this buzzword or this mechanic for, for no reason. Though I am surprised because I would have thought that there would have been more intersection between gamers and kind of people who are crypto enthusiasts. And I would have thought the community of this game would have gotten excited being the first kind of AAA game to implement this. So this, this one is a surprise to me. Well, and this is what, you know, I, I'm curious, like the, some of the theories you've got, I think the one you mentioned around Ubisoft, you know, we, on our sister podcast, you know, on the business of esports live stream, we we had a discussion around, there was this poll done and Ubisoft was the most hated gaming brand on Twitter or whatever, right? Like Ubisoft has challenges with their brand as it relates to gamers. I don't know why so much hate around this announcement, though, right? Like, it, fundamentally, it doesn't, it has no bearing or effect on players of the game, really, right? Like, they lose nothing. And right, so, if you don't want to participate, it's not like it became yeah. pay to win. Like, you know, God forbid they had done that, like I had mentioned before, they, then they really would have gotten backlash. Like, you don't have to participate this in this at all. It's like, if you want to buy this cosmetic, buy it. If not, don't. So, yeah, I'm surprised. This is why I don't I don't fully understand the backlash. And and so I'm, as I'm you know thinking about this, one of the theories is, is it just is it already fatigue around the, the buzzword? Right. Like, is it is it feeling like Ubisoft or do players feel like Ubisoft is trying to cash in in some way and, and they don't spend the time to sort of understand what what Ubisoft is actually doing here? Is it that? Ubisoft didn't communicate this well in terms of the benefits to the player and how it's basically optional or, you know what I mean? Like where's the failure, the business failure here? It's, it's actually, it's a hundred percent fascinating because it, it, this kind of visceral sort of dislike, like this isn't neutral. This isn't, you know, 95, 20 to one 
dislike to like. Um, you don't see that often. Um, so it would be fascinating to see some market research. Like I do wonder if maybe blockchain gaming has gotten this stigma from the broader gaming community. Like, Hey, these guys aren't kind of approaching it the right way. Almost like when I hate to, I know you're going to kill me by bringing this up, but kind of the authenticity word that gets thrown around in esports a lot. Like when a sponsor or even in gaming more broadly, if a sponsor or an entity comes into the ecosystem and isn't authentic or, or seen to be sort of paying their dues or, or, or kind of approaching in the right way, they get ostracized. Like, have we gotten to the point maybe where the broader gaming community views blockchain gaming and crypto as that as sort of like, well, that's not gaming. They're the outsiders. They're just trying to scam us. I, I don't, that's a really broad yeah. sweeping statement that I don't think we should feel comfortable making off yeah. just this. But it would be fascinating if someone like a YouGov would 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 do some sort of consumer insight around kind of gamers' just perception of blockchain and and kind of these these gaming experiences. You know, I'm curious if you're at Activision Blizzard and you see this happen, right? Or you're at EA and you see this happen. It, do you do you become a little gun shy in terms of your own blockchain slash NFT slash sort of metaverse related announcements, like? Do you sort of step back and go, maybe we should wait, maybe we should see how this plays out a bit more? Or do you go, hey, this is just Ubisoft, no one likes Ubisoft, like, we're, we're still going to go ahead with our plans, right? Like, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's definitely a data point that you would look at. I don't think you scrape, you know, scrap your plans just on, on this one data point. Um, there's a clear, clearly a bigger picture and a lot more data to look at. But I do think it's something that you take pause. Because if, if the reaction is this negative, you, the worst thing you want to do in one of these games that you have a large active player base that you're effectively monetizing really well for, for the long term is alienate them and, and get people to leave the game because you introduced a new mechanic that they didn't want. So I do think particularly for a game, you know, if we're talking about a game like FIFA or, or Grand Theft Auto, things that are Call of Duty games that are literally billion dollar cash cows. Yeah, you're gonna think long and hard if if now you 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 know you're seeing this kind of visceral negative reaction for sure. Um, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out, right? Because the the person who takes the first step sometimes takes the most risk, right? Like I, I I never try and read into this too much because anytime you're breaking new ground, you're gonna have haters, you're gonna have people who just don't like change of any kind, right? Like to me, I think that's a big part of this. And you compound that with Ubisoft sort of not so great reputation and, and you get this perfect storm of dislikes on YouTube. I also understand, I guess, why YouTube wants to remove the dislike button uh, yeah. <laughs> for moments like this. Um, but anyways, let's let's move on. I want to I want to touch on a different story here, Jeff, and that is and this one's a, a, definitely a rabbit hole that I'm sure we will go down over and over on this podcast. But it's a great way to sort of introduce the idea. And and this is from the New York Times, so definitely mainstream media here, which I love. They're talking about the metaverse. And the headline here is getting married in the metaverse. Uh, the subheadline says one couple's recent nuptials in the virtual world known as the metaverse showcase the possibilities of having a wedding unfettered by the bounds of reality. Uh, the, it goes on to say that, you know, people are having Zoom weddings. People are getting married and have always for a while now, I've been getting married in games like World of Warcraft, Animal Crossing, et cetera. But one particular section here I really like, they talked about how uh, one company uh, creates digital planning tools for weddings, 
They're investing in the metaverse by creating virtual versions of real world event spaces like the Plaza Hotel in New York. So if you want to do something like crazy and wild in the metaverse, you can, right? You can go have the crazy over the top wedding at the Plaza Hotel, which I think is interesting. Um, the big question I have for you is, you know, how quickly do you think we'll see, right? The wedding business is huge, multi-billion dollar industry, right? People spend lots of money on their weddings. Um, how quickly do you think we'll see traditional industries sort of move into the metaverse in some way, transition, you know, into more digital offerings? Uh, and, and what do you think the reception will be from customers? Like, are we going to see 1% of weddings, for example, go into the metaverse? Or are we going to see 20%? probably 1% of 1%. I mean, you know, it, it will take time just like with any adoption of technology. I mean, I'm just, I'm kind of laughing because I'm imagining like grandparents and great grandparents, like trying to figure out how to get into the metaverse. Like <laughs> that's a problem that eventually is going to have to get fixed, but it might get fixed by literally us aging up to be those grandparents and great grandparents. Cause you know, it, it's, it's a hard barrier to imagine them having to figure, you know, they can't even figure out FaceTime. Like it's going to be hard for them to figure out Roblox and or whatever metaverse <laughs> you're you're talking about um but from a broader picture uh, you know zooming out from the wedding industry i, I do think you know you're seeing large and you are going to continue to see large sections of the economy that is currently in the the IRL world shift into the digital world and you'll have kind of representations of similar things like clearly there's been a lot of talk recently about concerts in the metaverse not even just recently for for a couple of years now concerts in digital spaces and a lot of artists have had a lot of success with that so just having these events um, in digital worlds, I think you're going to see big swaths of different industries move in there. Weddings is an interesting one. I mean, part of me thinks like that would be something like that might be, unless you're an early adopter, like one of the later things to move just because hmm. your wedding is such a special day for people. Um, you know, I'll say myself included, oh, my wife will kill me. But, uh, <laughs> you know, so it's one of those things where I, I imagine that's the thing where you're going to want people to, come together sort of in, in real life. Um, but you know, but there are also limitations to the real life where we saw it clearly during COVID, like that was the only way you could get married. If you're at spread out or costs, it's a lot more cost effective. So I can see, you can convince me of a lot of the positives of a, a virtual wedding. I, I just think it's going to take some time to, to get significant adoption. I, I'm curious what you think of the following thesis, and I'm, this is totally off the cuff. I actually didn't, I didn't, I didn't think about this before. But like, will we see sort of cannibalization of industries and sort of real life things, right, by the metaverse in areas where the price tags are the highest? Like, part of me thinks that where you have very high price tags, this is maybe the most ripe for sort of a metaverse equivalent right? Like sim racing is one. I had a great conversation today with someone about sim racing, right? Where not everyone can afford to race a Ferrari, right? But mm -hmm. a lot of people can afford to have a, a sim rig and a VR headset and get, you know, 90% of the experience. Um, not everyone can afford to get married at the Plaza Hotel. But the, the, the cost of doing that in the metaverse, uh, once you've built that, you know, Plaza model, to be able to put, you know, people into it is not that costly, right? So in some ways, it it democratizes these very high-end kind of out-of-reach experiences. And I don't know if you think, uh, like, so the thesis I want to put forward is, 
maybe the most expensive things are the first that will get sort of metaverse equivalents. The so I think that's a, a really interesting thought and, and could very well be right. My only pushback is is more from an economic standpoint than a metaverse and gaming standpoint, where it's like a lot of these experience and events are probably you know sought after because they're expensive, right? Like the term Vaplin good, like it's like almost like it's it has there's more demand for it because it's expensive. Like everyone wants to get married at the plaza because only like 50 people a year can get married at the plaza. It, yeah. It's just a building. Like it's not that special, you know, other than the fact that you can't get married there unless you are a billionaire kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, so that that's my only question of of to, to kind of push back on your thesis is like, are those experiences so special and sought after because they're they're sort of scarce? And by putting them into the metaverse, like if you could get married at the virtual plaza or like the virtual, I don't know, something even more crazy, like you're floating through space, like that would probably be maybe Yeah, cooler. I see what you're saying. <laughs> the, 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 the bounding ourselves by real life experiences may not be the best business model. Yeah. Um, all right, let's uh, look. I, I think it's fascinating. I, I, wanna, I want it to be a, a, a topic we revisit regularly, like the effect of the metaverse on other industries, right? Because to me, that's that's the exciting piece of this whole thing, which is as the as the metaverse sort of industry grows, what are what is it swallowing, right? Like what is getting converted to digital experiences versus real life? Um, and it'll be interesting to see which industries fall first, right? Is it education? Is it tourism? Is it? It's a great point, and it's also really important for investors. You know, people who are listening to this, kind of thinking about where you know maybe to to make money investing in this space. Obviously, there's some pretty clear metaverse plays that we've talked about, and we will talk about all the time on this podcast. But kind of those second derivative, hey, well, who is the metaverse going to hurt, sort of thing, or or maybe who is adjacent that you wouldn't think of as a metaverse play, but kind of touches it because of some tangential reason. I think that's actually really interesting to come back to. So um, I want to I want to end. You know, we have we had we have a bunch of stuff, but I want to end this episode, Jeff, on on the article we teased at the beginning here, and that's from PC Gamer. And the headline here was total clickbait, right? The, uh, just for the record, I think this author is completely wrong. I think they don't know what they're talking about. Uh, I'm happy uh, to debate them at any time, <laughs> but but they're totally wrong about this. This is total clickbait. The headline here is the metaverse is bullshit. And the subheadline says, you're not losing your mind. It really does just sound like a worse version of the internet. And, and he makes some points. I, I, I'll, I'll, I don't know if you wanted to touch on specific ones here, Jeff, but I'll, I'll just well, mention some of them. You can mention there was a couple that I, I wanted to say where I thought were actually decent criticisms uh, of, and, and one in particular, and then really, um, I don't know if you scroll down. Well, let me just mention this one. So he says, yeah, the you, metaverse you is bullshit because it already exists and it's called the internet. That's his first argument. The second argument is the metaverse is bullshit because tech moguls miss the part where cyberpunk is dystopian. And the third, the third criticism he has is the metaverse is bullshit because it's promised cross compatibility doesn't actually work. Um, and then fourth, he says the metaverse is bullshit because no one can actually explain why it's better. So those are the four points he makes. And I'm curious where you thought some of them had merit and where you thought some of them. Um... Yeah. So the one, and I think those headlines don't, those are a little bit clickbaity. I think there's a couple more nuanced points that he makes sort of throughout that were maybe a little bit better, but the one that I think is the best point 
that I want to probably dive into the most is, is really the, the issue of interoperability, where kind of the metaverse and, and what the metaverse is today, where kind of melds with blockchain, is this concept where you get ownership of the items you have in game, and then the blockchain allows you to buy and sell them so you own it. You could sell it um, once, you know, let's say you were playing the game, you decide to stop playing the game, you could sell your item, which is a positive. That is definitely a benefit. But what sort of the, the promise of the future is this interoperability where it's, hey, I bought a gun in Call of Duty. I want to go play Battlefield. I can bring my gun because I spent all this money in Call of Duty, upgrading it, buying it, building it. I can go bring it to Battlefield. That, feud, that world does not exist currently. And I think there are a lot of challenges to how that world will exist in the future, given you know, they're separate companies built on separate engines, very foundational things. So I think that is an, an interesting point that he makes that is important to sort of figure out. Yeah, I, I can guarantee you the author here was born uh, after, you know, after the year 2000, most likely, or, or like mid to late 90s, uh, because fundamentally, I think he, he doesn't understand how the Internet itself evolved, right? He, he says, oh, the, it's no metaverse is no different than the Internet. Well, the reality is, I think, for even for the metaverse, as exciting as it is, there are still technology hurdles that haven't been solved, right? So he says, it's bullshit because it's promised cross compatibility doesn't actually work. Well, I mean, how can he say that, right? Literally, no one has yet proposed any kind of standards, right? It's like saying in uh, you know the, the 1970s that the internet doesn't work because there's no cross compatibility. Well, that's not fair because at some point people got together and agreed that you know TCP/IP and HTML and some of these standards were going to be the foundations and and built on top of that. And I think as this industry evolves, similar things are going to happen. So, like to me, that's that's such a weak argument that just because it doesn't exist today doesn't mean it won't exist ever, right? I think mm -hmm. for this to, for the promise of the metaverse to come true, cross compatibility will have to be a thing, and I believe we will solve it because it's to everyone's benefit. To your point, right? Yeah. Um, you know, the argument he makes about tech moguls miss the part where cyberpunk is dystopian. I mean, that's such a fluff argument, right? Like in some ways the metaverse is going to be dystopian because cyberpunk is dystopian. Like um, I could easily point to Star Trek where holodecks are as close to a metaverse as anyone I think has come to portraying them. And Star Trek's totally utopian, not dystopian. And so, you know, he's, he's wrong on that point. There's uh, a Jeff, piece. Were you going to jump in? Yeah. Well, there's a piece that I wanted to bring up where Tim's he talked, it's talking about advertising and basically the premise is essentially like, is the metaverse just going to become advertising thrown at you in your face um, and, and really just like an immersive ad, essentially. And, and there's a quote from Tim Sweeney. So I'm curious to kind of get if, if we can find it. It's somewhere in the article. I mean, um, for, I mean my, my response that. to that is where where do people go today where uh, it's not being thrown in your face, right? Like is the reality. Um, it says in September 2021, Washington yeah. Post interview, Tim Sweeney imagined the future of advertising says a car maker who wants to make a presence in the metaverse isn't going to run ads. They're going to drop their car into the world in real time and you'll be able to drive it around. And they're going to work with lots of content creators with different experiences to ensure their car is playable here and there and that it's receiving the attention it deserves. And I think Tim's totally right there, right? I think that's a fantastic point of how the metaverse is fundamentally better than the internet or the next evolution of it. And 
and the kinds of experiences it can drive for users, for advertisers, for everybody is really compelling. I don't know if you had thoughts on that. No, or... that's that's uh, that's fair. I you know I I just think I think his points around advertising are are interesting ones and ones we've kind of talked about a little bit on prior episodes where it's like having brands come into the metaverse does it kind of just become this dystopian shopping mall where you just have brands shoving virtual things in your face. Now, as I'm saying that, I realize you could basically describe the internet or social media as that to some extent, very much so. Um, but it's just something that I think we'll we'll probably continue to talk about. The, the last kind of interesting quote that I, I pulled up when I was reading it really actually dovetails a lot with what we were just saying. And it, I want to hear your thoughts on it. He goes, so much development on the metaverse is focusing on recreating worse versions of things we already have in the real world. And I can't help but think about the virtual wedding as, is that just a worse version of a thing no, we have in the real it's world? it's better. It's way better. You could get wasted in a virtual <laughs> wedding and it has no impact on the next day, right? You, you, to your point, you can do the wedding in space. Where, where, how can you do that in the real world? Like untethered from your, your, your meat body, right? Your limbs and your, uh, what you can do in a metaverse, the risks you can take, the, Things you can uh, like experience to me far exceeds what is possible in real life. This is like the next, I would argue, the next step in human evolution, even right. It's the di digitization of our of our being. Uh, you know, Raker's wheel called this the singularity, where you know soul and and digital meet. Uh, and and I think that it's exciting. Uh, you know, this author that is totally out to lunch doesn't understand the opportunity here or why it's exciting. So. Um, on that note, I think um, that wraps up this episode of the Meta Business Podcast. Jeff, thank you, as always, um, to our listeners. Make sure you guys, if you like the show, send us feedback, subscribe. It's available everywhere now. Uh, it took a bit to get us on you know, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, literally everywhere you get uh, your podcast content. We also put the videos up on YouTube if you prefer to watch. Uh, so make sure you check it out everywhere. Uh, we really would appreciate any feedback and tell your friends about the show. If you're in working in or around the metaverse or gaming or crypto, uh, we really, really would love your feedback. And uh, on that note, Jeff, thank you. We will see all of you guys next week. Thank you all. Thanks for watching this episode of Meta Business. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also make sure to leave a review if you love the content. This is a Meta TV series, the world's first and only media platform focused on metaverse content and themes. So make sure to follow all of the other Meta TV social channels for more shows just like this.